Hello, my friend. Welcome to the Business Leadership Today podcast. I'm your host, Matt Tenney. As an active CEO, my goal is to build and sustain world-class organizations that make a positive impact on the lives of employees and on the global community. Although I've spent nearly a decade doing leadership consulting, I know I still have a lot to learn. And I have a lot of questions regarding how we can continuously get better and achieve our goals. Through this podcast, we reach out to top thought leaders and business leaders to get answers to those questions, and we give you the opportunity to listen to their answers too. This episode is part of a series we're doing on how to build a high-performance culture that doesn't burn people out. My guest today is Dave Gordon. Dave has traveled a very unorthodox path to becoming a sought-after expert on the topics of personal branding and leadership. He went to John Hopkins University with the intention of becoming a doctor, but ended up falling in love with writing and communication and became an actor. For 10 years, he lived the life of what we'll call the average actor, doing just well enough to stay in business while sometimes needing to tend bar to make ends meet. Interestingly, the skills he learned during 10 years living and working as an actor proved to be invaluable when he decided to enter the business world and help organizations with branding and marketing. He currently serves as the chief marketing officer at Gallagher Bassett, runs the marketing and communications firm Gordon Creative, and is the award-winning author of TIP, a simple strategy to inspire high performance and lasting success. I am very excited to hear Dave's thoughts today on how to create a sustainable, high-performance culture, especially because of his unique approach to leadership based on his expertise in branding and communications. Dave, thank you very much for joining me today on Business Leadership Today. Matt, thank you very much for having me. And I have to say, I've done a lot of these podcasts. That was the best introduction I've ever had. So oh, you, you encompass my story uh, better than anybody. So I'm very excited to be here to talk to you. All right. Likewise. Likewise. I think this is going to be fun and informative. And I, I know I'm going to learn. I know I'm going to learn a lot. Um, and I'm very confident our listeners will as well. So Dave, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to share your thoughts on the 10 most important things that we as leaders need to be doing if we want to inspire a sustainable, high-performance uh, culture. And before we do that, I know there's a great story that you share about always finding an opportunity to stand out. Can you introduce us to your thoughts on this topic by, by sharing that story? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you uh, shared with the audience my uh, unorthodox path towards corporate America. Most people uh, go the opposite direction. They start out in corporate and then they, <laughs> they decide that they, they have to follow their artistic path. I did right. the opposite. Um, it's interesting you say that because you know when I was acting, I remember when I first got into the business, uh, my agent said there are two types of actors. There are stand-ins and stand-outs. The stand-in, stand in the hot sun, uh, the cold weather while they're setting up the shot. And then the standouts, the stars, they step in and actually do the work and get paid all the money, right? So when I left acting uh, after 10 years, and that was a, a decision my wife and I made, uh, you know, again, average actor uh, doing just enough, but, you know, uh, I had my third child on the way and it was time to mm -hmm. quote unquote get a real job. So I went into the experiential uh, marketing world where you do a lot of meetings, events, trade shows, that sort of thing. And I, I got a sales job, was fortunate enough to, um, to learn uh, from a lot of great people in, the, in that business. But my role at that time in sales, when you would go into a big pitch, you would do the introduction, 
you would thank the, the people at the end for the opportunity and you would let the creative folks kind of do all the work, right? And do all the pitching. And right. as the salesperson, you're just kind of the relationship manager. And every once in a while, the salesperson may have an opportunity to talk about, you know, the, the party that you're doing or something like that around the event. Mm-hmm. So me being me, uh, coming from the acting world and not knowing enough and, and just enough to be dangerous, I guess, uh, <laughs> I, I raised my hand and said, well, I'd like to describe what the party is going to be. Now, we were pitching to a client that we'd pitched to or the company had pitched to. I had just gotten there um, for many, many years and never got the business. And so I was handed the account and I said, all right, let's give this a shot. So we were um, pitching a pharmaceutical product and it was all about safety and all about protection. I won't go into the details on what the product was or anything, but at the time when everybody's doing the creative directors doing their thing, um, I left the room midway through the pitch. I was wearing my suit and tie. I took everything off in the bathroom and I put on my, my uh, quote unquote, my bouncer outfit. Um, because <laughs> when I came back into the room, I had somebody play, let's get the party started. And I started to pitch my section, which is only supposed to be just a small section. But I pitched my section as if I were the bouncer of the most prestigious club, which we named to coincide with the product. And I had a clipboard in my hand. And the reason I did this was we had a client that we were pitching to, sorry, a prospect that we were pitching to that was known for just being just nasty and mm. mean and just would tear people apart during presentations. So rather than try to just be like someone just like, oh, you know, please, please, please kind of begging for the business. I kind of leaned in the other way. I created a different persona. My bouncer guy was named Joey Big. And I walked (laughs) up to this guy with a clipboard in my hand. And I said, do you want to go to my party? Because I don't see your name on my list. And if your name's not on my list, you're not coming to my party. Let me tell you what my party is going to be all about. And then I went into the detail of the party around this big sales training pr- uh, uh, meeting and presentation. And when I finished my presentation and I said, so you want to come to my party? He <laughs> did not say a word. He just stared at me. And my team behind me did not know I was going to do all this. One person knew, gave me the okay, but the creative directors didn't know. And I could tell there was silence in the room. And it was just like, nobody was moving. Sounds like right out of a movie, right? You're just just hanging like, what's going to happen? This is That's that's exactly what happened. I could feel the creative director's like eyes just burning a hole into me. Like, what did you do? (laughs) And sure enough, this guy just stares at me. And like you said, just like a movie, all of a sudden he just bursts out laughing. And he said, that's awesome. (laughs) Joey Big. All right, Joey Big. We'll consider that. And we ended up getting the business. Now, I'm not going to say it was because of me. It was the team. But I like to think that I had something to do with that. That person became my best client. And uh, for for about seven years, he never called me Dave. He always called me Joe. (laughs) So I tell that story because the, the company that I was working for, the agency, they empowered people to stand out in some way. I don't mm. think they expected me to do what I did, but I had these transferable skills and I, I wasn't just going to sit in a corner and say, please and thank you. So I put myself out there. Right. I took a chance. And what I did was I innovated the role of the salesperson. I disrupted what we normally do. 
And that was the culture of the business, but I took it to the next level. It didn't mean that everybody was going to go off and do their own thing. But when it came time to do their part, the salespeople kind of looked to me and said, all right, how do we make this more fun? How do we make this engaging and inspiring? And so I think as we talk about culture, and you know I'm big on personal branding, it's really important that we build, we think about building a culture from the inside out and one person at a time. Mm. I love it. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, arguably the best definition of culture I think there is, right? It's, it's this culmination of daily actions uh, carried out by individuals, <laughs> right? So it has to start with individuals. So perfect. Um, I think that leads in really well to what we're going to talk about here today. And you know, you you had sent me in advance um, the list of the ten most important things that you think we need to be doing to to make this happen. Building a high performance culture that's sustainable, starting with individuals. Um, if it's okay with you, I'd I'd like you to just go through the list just a, just as a bullet list um, and just kind of give us the the big idea in just a few words. And then what we're going to do is I'd like to go a little bit deeper on a few of them and you know, really give listeners uh, some actionable takeaways for at least two, maybe three of these things. So that after, this, after listening to this, they have a, a strategic um, direction for how to go about and execute this. So let's start off though. Can you, can you go ahead and, um, and just list through uh, just a few words each? What are the 10 most important things you think we need to be doing um, to build this high performance culture that's sustainable? Sure. Absolutely. So for me, and I mean, I could have gone, you, you said top 10, I could have gone 20 or 30, right? But I think the top 10, it starts out first, be authentic and accountable. Okay. Um, when you're building a culture, it's got to be about your authenticity, right? Who you are and being accountable. And, and I talk about leadership, but I think that applies to everybody as well. Um, number two um, is communicate communicate, <laughs> communicate. Uh, in, in my roles over the years, I've seen cultures fail because of lack of communication. I, and I've seen cultures thrive because uh, companies do it right. Uh, number three, make commitments, not decisions. Um, decisions are based on uh, basically uh, human, you know, if it feels good, do it, right? Whereas commitments are something that you'll do uh, no matter what happens, right? Mm. So I think that's important. Uh, number four, stand for something. Number five, no bad days. Mm. Uh, I always say this in my keynote presentations, but if you are, especially if you are a leader in an organization, you are not entitled to have a bad day. We can talk <laughs> about that. We can talk about what that means later on if you'd like. Uh, number six, inspire others to stand out. Uh, the story I told was, you know, something that would, would do that, inspire others to do that based on my actions. Uh, but there are many ways to do that. Number seven, embrace conflict and crisis. Number eight, uh, create a culture of consistency. Uh, number nine, uh, signature stories of wow. Mm. And number 10, take it personally. Nice. I'm thinking when you said number nine, I, I immediately go to um, the Ritz Carlton, you know, and there, I'm sure you've heard of their daily meetings, you know, and just, that's such a great, so for anyone that uh, wants to go deeper with that, you know, go, go visit Dave's website. You can also, uh, cause I don't think we're going to talk about this one today. I don't, I don't think we'll have time to get to number nine. Um, but the Ritz Carlton is just, their culture is replete with examples of how do you highlight these great stories of just wow experiences. All right. Uh, so thanks for sharing your top 10. 
Dave, um, let's, uh, I'm really interested in the stand for something. It, there's something about this that just appeals to me personally. I really resonate with this and I, I have no idea where you're going to go, but I think, I think I do, uh, you know, just, there's just like this intuition that this really resonates. So could you tell us first, what do you mean by stand for something? And then why, why is this important for creating uh, a high performance culture that's sustainable? And then after that, we'll, we'll, we'll probably go deeper in how do we execute on it? Sure. Absolutely. So when you think of stand for something, there, there's a, a phrase that says, if you, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Mm. And so when you think about stand for something as a leader, if you think about building a culture and you have a leader and you don't know what they stand for, then basically you're just doing your job and they're just doing their job. But if you have a leader that is willing to share with you what they stand for, what their values are, what their mission is, what their purpose is. That's something that you can get on board with. And if you think about even coming from the highest end of an organization, if that person, that CEO or any other C-level executive is sharing with you what they stand for and going back to number one, they're authentic about it and they hold themselves accountable for standing for those things, then you're gonna wanna follow. Um, when I left um, the experiential world and started my own brand consultancy, I had a keynote called Stand for Your Brand. Mm. And I'm very big about the personal brand because I do believe, uh, you know, I, I spent 15 years in experiential marketing. And so I learned a lot, not just from my agency team, but from working with um, product managers and branding uh, executives at some of the uh, the biggest brands in the world. And so really, I, I did not take uh, one marketing class in college. And yet mm -hmm. here I am, the CMO of a, a billion dollar organization. All that came from learning on the job. And so when I started doing this keynote called Stand for Your Brand, it really is about breaking down what it takes to not only build a brand, but keep it consistent and keep it growing to the point where people know who you are, what you stand for, and who you're trying to help. So that's the essence of stand for something. And why, why, do, you think, why do you think people are more likely to follow a leader who's transparent in that way and authentically shares their purpose and their values? Yeah, I think we're human beings. And I think that's get the, out of here. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the essence of it, right? We, we forget that I, so much in business, right? It's, we, we, it's humans we really, dealing with humans. Well, think about it. You watch the news and you know, there's somebody that you respect, whoever that may be. And I'm not even talking about politics, but there's somebody that you respect. And suddenly something comes out that you think that you know this person, this person, mm. whether it's a celebrity or an executive at a company or whatever, and they seem to be the kind of person that you aspire to be. To be. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden something comes out in the news that what, that what they did was completely the opposite of the image that they're putting forth. And mm -hmm. so what you, what you basically say to yourself is, well, that, that was a farce. I, I was, and you feel... I mean, when you, when that happens to you, you, you can dig in and say, oh, he or she didn't do it. Right. Or he, but if you really accept that that person made bad choices and yet still try to put an image out of themselves, that's different than who they truly are. That, that is uh, so defeating. 
Mm. So, so it's kind of like when you find someone that does stand for something and that follows through and that translates to how they do business. It translates to how they treat their people. It translates to how they promote people within an organization, how they treat customers. Um, you know, all it's all the little things that come out. So I think that's why it's so important to stand for something because to your point, we are more likely to follow people that are like us, right? That have the same values as us. Mm, and yeah. so when that is apparent, then we're more likely to, as they say, run through a wall for someone. I, I would I would take it a step further, maybe. And even, even if the values are a little bit different, but they're noble values, that can create that sense of, oh, I trust this person. I want to follow this person, right? Like, and so when I, when it sounds, correct me if I'm wrong here, but just in summary, it sounds like your concept of stand for something is, is to not only be really clear on where you stand, what your purpose is, what your values are, but then you, you better live that stuff, right? So we're talking about integrity here, right? So that's the most important thing. You know, when I talk about branding, there's really four cornerstones to building a brand. There's identity, communication, your actions or behaviors, and then there's unique value. So mm. to your point, yes, it's like identity is, is, I say who I am, you communicate a certain way, but it really is about living the brand. It's about living your values every day because your, your reputation, your brand does not take a day off. It does not take a minute off. I mean, how many times have you seen someone tweet something that just does not reflect Right. And they, and then they'll come back and they'll say, that's not me. No, that is you. That's actually (laughs) the worst version of you, but that's still you. And so I think we all have an obligation to try to live our best selves, to try Mm. to live to the best version of ourselves, because we are human beings. We all have those tendencies to be, you know, not perfect. Right. And so, but can we try, can we try to live our best selves? And we do that, I believe by standing for something. Got it. So you you listed in the branding world how the, the second element is communication, right? So you're communicating what it is that you stand for, um, what your values are. So in the in the world of marketing, I think we're all very familiar with how that's done. The companies that do it well, you know, like Apple, Subaru, they are kind of really leading with their why and their values. How does a leader do this? You know, like how how does a leader? And and let's take it. Let's remove it from the C-suite because obviously this is a core. In my view, this is a core job of this of the executive leadership team. Is what are the values that are going to guide our our uh, behaviors when when we're executing on our strategy? What is our purpose? You know, what is our vision and our mission? But but let's say you know I'm a VP or I'm a, a mid level manager. Um, or a director, you know, some somewhere other than that, the C-suite that's kind of creating this high level. What should I be doing, other than living my values, sh- or should I? Like, should I follow the branding methodology of? Should I be communicating my values and what I stand for, not just with my actions, but with words and other forms of communication? Absolutely. I, it, that's all we have to communicate. So, so right? how, how do we do that? How, what, what would you recommend to do that skillfully? I agree with you. The most important thing is just to live it. Right. But I, yep. but I, what I really hear you saying is like, nah, you, you gotta, like, especially if it's a new team member, right. If they're only there for six months, they might've had a chance to see you in a 
pressure situation. They don't know what your values are necessarily unless you tell them. So, so how do you recommend we do that skillfully? Yeah. So I think words matter, right? They say that words create worlds. And so it's the words that we choose to use. Um, mm. It's funny, you know, I believe, I know, you know, my brother, John, uh, John Gordon, who's written all about positivity. Right. And I firmly believe that when you think about marketing as a leader, it really does come down to this idea of positive communication. That's very hard to do when we are wired for the fight or flight mechanism. You know, yes. John, I'll tell the story and I'll tell the same story about our dad, who was an undercover narcotics cop. Uh, you know, in New York City. So we grew up in a house that I would not exactly call positive. The communication was not exactly positive. Right. And so we need, when I say we, the collective we, we need to work on the words that we use to best communicate our aspirations and our goals. Mm. 50% of the words in the English language are negative. 30% are positive and 20% are neutral. Uh, when you really think about that, we are more likely to say negative things than positive. I used to call my dad up and I used to be like, how you doing? He'd be like, can't complain. And I'm like, you just did. Like you just complained, <laughs> right? You could have said anything. Yeah. And, and, I, and I believe I go back to the idea of no bad days as a leader. You know, I used to have um, uh, a CEO at one of the agencies that I worked at. He'd get off the elevator, he'd put his head down, he'd walk through the, the offices and the cubicles, not say a word to anybody, go into his office and shut the door. Mm -hmm. And you could feel the energy that was in the room mm -hmm. just suddenly just go out, well, just like a deflated like a vacuum, room. yeah, just a vacuum. And so the first thing I believe that when you think about communication, the first thing is, number one, just do it. Like a lot of leaders don't communicate at all. That's number one. And so when, you know, you don't have that communication, people will fill their own mind with negative thoughts about what's going on. Then the second thing is, if you are going to be a leader that communicates, you have to remember that it's being a leader is like having a spotlight on you. And so what the words that you use, how you treat people, how you engage you know, from a communication standpoint, everybody is watching that. And so if you are doing that frequently, and if you are doing that more positively than not, then you're more likely to get that back, right? Mm -hmm. And I always tell leaders, if you're seeing people acting or communicating in a certain way, you can't blame them. You're the leader. You're the one with the accountability. And you have to look within yourself first and say, mm -hmm. are you modeling that bad behavior? Are you modeling the less than positive communications out there? And if so, you have to take a, a look at that. You mentioned the Ritz-Carlton um, and I work with them uh, from a consulting standpoint and I learned a lot from them actually. I, I was able to bring stuff to them, but I love when you go there and I've been there as a customer, I, I, I love the brand, they take care of me uh, when I bring my family there and you're sitting there and somebody comes over and you say, thank you for the water. And they say, my pleasure, mm -hmm. right? It's like, was it really your pleasure to pour me a glass of water? Well, maybe not, but actually if it's supposed to enhance the experience, then yes. So I always tell people, you know, when you, when, whenever I'm in kind of those situations and I say, thank you. And someone says to me, no problem. It's like, 
yeah, I would, <laughs> it could be no problem, right? I, yeah. I absolutely, I hate that phrase. And I think, it, you know, when I talk to leaders and when I try to get them to start to communicate better, it's little shifts like that. Mm. It's basically saying, are you communicating like everybody else? Or is there something that you can do? Is there a way that you can communicate that makes someone say, I really want to be around that person? Mm. And I'll give you one last thing. I know I'm kind of going on here, but one last thing. It I starts it. with hello. It starts with hello. It starts when, when you walk in the room, right? If someone says to you, how you doing? Right. When I do it in Australia, it's actually how you going. But in, in the US, <laughs> how you doing? Right. And if someone says to you, how are you doing as, as a leader? You have an opportunity right there to elevate the energy in the room or, again, to deflate it. So how are you doing? I'm fine. Okay, fine's not a word. Again, fine's like no problem. Get it out of your vocabulary. Right. Right. How are you doing? I'm, I'm awesome. I'm amazing. I'm fantastic. Are you? Maybe not. Maybe you're dying on the inside. But you need to know that there are people out there that are looking to you. If you're amazing right? Or maybe you're not, but you need to coach yourself into be amazing. But the point is, when you're putting it out there that you're not having a bad day, you're basically saying to everyone, and I don't expect you to have a bad day either, right? So if I'm amazing, you can be amazing too. So it really ends up being modeling that communication and modeling mm. that behavior. That makes sense? Absolutely. I love it. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think, I think we could have a whole episode just on this, that topic alone, <laughs> but I, I do want to, uh, my thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, I, I've already, I'm glad this is recorded. I, I don't have to take notes, uh, so, uh, but I, I've already got some mental nuggets in there. Like, oh yeah, I could do better at that. I could do better at that. So, so thank you for that. Um, I also wanted to go deep on the, the seventh idea you shared which is um, embrace conflict and crisis. Hmm. So now this is the reason I keyed in on this is because you didn't just say successfully manage conflict and crisis. You didn't just say, you know, deal with conflict and crisis. You said embrace conflict and crisis. So can you tell me what you mean by that? Why it's important? And then I'll probably dig a little deeper about how we execute on it. Sure. You know, I think people we're, we're trained to run away from conflict, right? There are people yes. who do conflict well. Um, and then there are people like first responders who, who run to conflict and crisis. And I say embrace conflict and crisis because that's when people of value are needed most. And so when you think about your culture, when you think about being a leader and what you're trying to do, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, there's always going to be conflict. And I always say to people, whatever role you're in, um, if there was no conflict, then your job would probably be obsolete. We wouldn't need, right? I mean, we wouldn't need you right. because it'd be something we can automate or it'd be right. something that you know, would be easy to do. So if there is conflict in crisis, I say embrace it because I come from a writing background and storytelling is, I think, one of the key skills that any leader could have. And the thing that you have to remember about a story, and it's why I wrote my business book as a, as a story first, is that in any great story, and think about any book you read, any movie that you've watched, in any great story, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And there's that, that, that moment in the beginning, right, where the, the action starts. And then what happens? Conflict, right? Every great story has conflict, so the hero can overcome the conflict. Right. 
And then we have a resolution at the end. If I told you I woke up today and I had eggs for breakfast and I had a nice cup of coffee and I sat down at my desk and I did five hours of work and then I had a good dinner and I went to bed. That's not a story. That's a horrible story. Who wants to <laughs> who's going to pay $5.99 for that, right? right? But a great story is about overcoming conflict. And the thing that I say embrace it is because, and it took me close to 30 years now to really understand this, out of those stories, out of those moments of conflict and crisis, what you get, and I mentioned it later on down the road, are signature stories. Mm. You get those stories that you helped someone overcome something. Maybe it was your own, but maybe you helped a customer. Maybe you helped a colleague. Maybe you helped a team. Maybe you helped the entire company, whatever it is. But by embracing the conflict and crisis, you know that there's going to be conflict here, but you also know that out of the resolution, whatever it may be, you're going to get a great story out of it. And that mm. story becomes part of your brand. It becomes part of the culture. And I know that from the organizations that I've worked at and with over the years, there are those stories that were really based on conflict and crisis that people tell over and over and over again, it becomes part of the culture, right? But it only, but, but those stories are only good if they have the conflict and crisis to overcome. So that's what I mean by that. Absolutely, yeah. You know, you're you're making me think of like, um, to me, this is entrepreneurship at its core, right? So you're taking this the the entrepreneurial uh, spirit and applying it to individual leaders, and in, in not just thinking of like. How am I going to start a business? But to me, the definition of entrepreneurship is solving a problem, right? So if you're always running away from problems, you're never solving, right? So no. if you if you embrace conflict and crisis and you say, all right, what opportunity is here for me to be of service, for me to solve a, a painful problem for somebody? Wow, just to think of the value that you add for your organization, you know, yeah, whether you're a, you don't even have to be a leader, you could just be any any employee, any even a frontline new person three days on the job. I mean, that's that your that entrepreneurial mindset applied to the the organization instead of external customers. Yeah. And you and you mentioned a good point, right? Because when you are helping someone with a problem, the key word there is help. Right. And so I bring it back to I tell people that they need a purpose statement, just like an organization has a mission and a credo. Each individual leader needs to have a purpose statement. And that starts with the phrase, I help people. Mm. And I help people what? That's up to you, right? right. That's that. But if I said to you, Matt, if we met for the first time and I said, what do you do? You might tell me, you know, your, your title. You might tell me, you know, that you've written, you know, a number of books. You might tell me all this stuff. But if we met, you know, somewhere over a drink or something and I, and I said, what do you do? And you said, I help people blank, whatever that is. That's much more interesting than whatever your title or industry is, because now I want to know more. I want to know how you help people. So to your point, if you're approaching these problems, you know, based on this conflict and you are there to help someone other than yourself, that's a great culture. Now you've got a whole mess of people, whether it's mm -hmm. an entrepreneurial shop of 20 or you've got 20,000 across the globe. If everybody there is really their purpose is to help their customers, their colleagues, whomever, that's a great culture. Oh yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And that's, and you know, 
I, I think that just creates meaning too, where now, even if you're beyond just the, the meaning of your, your organizational mission, you've got meaning every day showing up because everyone is there. I mean, what, what else is there to life than being of service? Right. So just the easy way to create meaning. All right. So there is one, one more that I want to go into, uh, John, a little bit deeper, and that is, um, create a culture of consistency. Now this one's probably the most cut and dry, I think of, of the ones it, it's not, uh, it's, it's fairly obvious. I think what you're talking about here, but I would like to hear in your own words, you know, what, what is it that you mean by create a culture of consistency? Why is it important? And then I'll probably, I'll probably follow up with a little bit more on how to execute unless it just kind of flows naturally out of here. Yeah, this one is, is the most, I, I think, um, uh, how can I say this? This one is, everybody knows what consistency is, right? Right. But at the same time, it's the hardest thing to do, I, I believe, uh, especially for someone like me. I come from a creative mindset. I, mm-hmm. I, I bore easily. So when I think about, imagine doing something over and over and over again, but you know, understanding that that's going to get you the best results when you're someone who's always looking for the new shiny thing. And a lot of us do that. We look for the new shiny thing, a new way to do this. Maybe it's a new, you know, personally, maybe it's a new diet, right? Maybe it's a new something right. uh, in an organization. It could be about a new process or suddenly there's a new bell whistle technology, right? That we have to bring into the mix. Mm-hmm. But I think if you create a culture of consistency, what you do is you establish what are the actions that we need to take to achieve success. And whether that's in sales, whether that's in leadership operations, finance, uh, your legal department, whatever it may be, the bottom line is if you're doing the same things over and over and over again, you're going to get those results. And yes, you have to pay attention to what's happening in the industry and disruption and innovation and all that sort of stuff. But it really comes down to doing the basics well, right? I, I played, yeah. I played, I played football in college, and I heard it all the time throughout my my junior and and, and high school career: blocking and tackling, right? It's just right. Do, do the if you're doing the basics well, then you can build on that. But if we don't do the basics well, if we don't do the same consistent things well, then we are never going to have a culture that thrives. Mm. Left you speechless, didn't I? Yeah, no, just there's so much, there's so much to think about there. You know, just it's so, this is, I I would, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this because this this is something that I've seen a number of times from a a wide variety, people from a wide variety of fields, just talking about this concept of, you know, you look at the people who are super successful, you know, there's a tendency to think that it happened overnight, right? And there's a tendency to think that, they did this one really magical, great thing, and that's what did it. And every time when you look deeper, it's nope. They did the basics for 10 years and nobody noticed until they had created this enough momentum where now there's this tipping point. And then it seems like overnight they're successful. Right. And I, that applies to just so many fields that I can think of. What I mean, this is kind of what you're pointing to, right? Is the, well, the things that aren't so exciting, right? Like, you know, I always, I think when you were talking, I was thinking of John Wooden, you know, greatest basketball coach, probably whoever lived, had the best basketball players in the country coming to play for him at UCLA. The first practice they did every time was let's practice putting your socks on. 
Now let's practice tying your shoes. And you got to be, imagine these basketball players, right? They got these egos, the size of the moon, right? And they're like, what do you know who I am? I scored 40 points a game. I know how to put my shoes on every practice. That's how every year, that's how they started. Right. Yeah. He won a lot of championships. <laughs> he was accepted. So, yeah. So is this what you're pointing to? It's just like having the, it's almost like the courage, right. To say like, yeah, it's not as exciting to execute well on the basics, but you're never going to be able to do the stuff that's exciting if you don't have the consistency of executing on the basics, right? I, th- I think that's the key. It's, and you just said that it's the consistent consistency to execute on the basics. And if you can execute the basics based on what we've already talked about, what are the values, right? What are the things that, you know, so you mentioned Ritz Carlton again, right? You might think, oh, this exceptional service, but the exceptional service is really based on the basics and their mission as ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen, right? And so if you really think about that mission, you go, okay, that says something about who you are and it says something about who you're serving. So act accordingly and do the basics based around that. And, and I do believe that the more we think about this idea of you know, making commitments, not decisions, because if you think about consistency, that really comes back to commitments. When you're committed to your brand, when you're committed to your people, your team, you're always going to make the right decisions because it's always based on that. And if you people, if leaders look at themselves more as, as brand managers for themselves and their teams, it's mm-hmm. not about well, if, if it feels good, do it right now. It's more about, is this best for me? Is this best for the team? Mm-hmm. Is this going to get us closer to our goals? And if not, then we're not going to do it. Mm. I love it. Man, are we out of time already? It's, <laughs> man, I want to just keep, I, I want to hit all 10 now. Uh, Dave, this, is, this has been fantastic. I got a whole... I have so many nuggets. I mean, I, that's why I, I paused there for a second again, because I was just thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, that. So th- this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to chat with me here on, on business leadership today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. And f- uh, for you, the listener, my friend, I'm absolutely positive you want to know more about Dave. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. I, I forgot to write it down here, but it's davegordon.net right? Is the, is the website to find more about you? Okay. So it's davegordon.net. Um, there's a lot of great information there on the site. His book again is tip. Uh, and you know, we'll have links to that too, in case you forget that or whatever, we'll have links to his, um, his website and his book on businessleadershiptoday.com. Until the next time I have an opportunity to help you, my friend, um, I wish you great success in building a world-class organization, sustaining a world-class organization that makes a positive impact in the lives of your team members and in our world. Bye for now.